0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes the Goal podcast—the best place in the entire world, including all of Canada, to learn how to build new thoughts, new actions, and new results. I'm your host, Don Acuff, and today we're doing another summer school episode. So, what is summer school? Well, essentially, we took all the ideas we get asked about the most—things like writing a book, delivering a speech, staying in shape, um, running a business and created a series of episodes around those topics. So you asked, we listened, here's the episodes. We thought it'd be fun to have a summer school series so that if you're out on the water, if you're at the beach, if you're going somewhere on vacation, you're at Disney World, whatever, you can listen to one of these episodes and hopefully get a lot of value out of them. So I can't wait for you to hear today's episode. First, let's hear a quick word from the sponsor of today's episode. Are you living up to your full potential? Dr. Mike Peasley and I asked over 3000 people this question and the research was wild. Here's what we found. 50% of people reported that 50% of their full potential is untapped. That means half of us are walking around with half lives. But what if you could have a fulfilling career? What if you could enjoy a thriving marriage and strong friendships? What if you could be in the greatest shape of your life? The good news is you can. In my new book, All It Takes is a Goal, you'll learn how to escape the comfort zone, avoid the chaos zone, and live in the potential zone. Plus, for a limited time, when you order by September 12th, you'll get amazing bonuses like the entire audiobook read by me. That's right. You get the entire audiobook for free. You also get a signed book plate and an exclusive download of my Dream Plan Do Review Poster. Order your copy anywhere books are sold, and then claim your bonuses at atgbook.com. That's atgbook.com. All right, let's jump into the episode. This one is fun because it's around a topic that I love, love, love to geek out about. It Today, we're going to talk about public speaking, and I'm not going to do it alone because I this entire series, I've been riding shotgun with my buddy Gian. Gian is one of my team members. He works for Ake of Ideas. We've worked together for the last year. I've bragged on him a million times. I think he's one of the most encouraging people you ever meet. Uh, he's kind of the cruise director, if you will, of the guaranteed goals community, this online private community we have where we help people with the goals they're excited about. Um, it's super fun and he does a great job of that. And he's been, sitting in with me on the mic about the summer series topics. So, Gian, today we're going to jump into public speaking. Thank you for uh, joining me.
1: Thank you for having me, John. I have a first question, John, before we start. Was public speaking your first love or was writing your first love? I would say Besides writing. Jenny, of course.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like in the third grade, I didn't say I'd marry Jenny. I'm not some like weird prophet kid. I didn't like. I I knew I liked to write in the third grade. That was way before I met Jenny. I didn't meet Jenny until after college. Thank goodness, because I was an idiot in college. I was not ready for someone like Jenny. Um, but no, I I I knew I liked writing first. But it, I think it's because I didn't even know you could be a public speaker. Like I didn't. I didn't even. I think I, I started to realize that having a dad who's a pastor, like I grew up watching somebody speak for a living, like part of their living was creating um, an idea and sharing it from stage every week. So that gave me a good sense of like, okay, this is something you can do. But I didn't, I didn't know I could do it as a career um, until somebody sent me an email after reading my blog, my first kind of blog that that um, did well and said, Hey, do you ever do public speaking? And I was like, yes, I do. And then I went and delivered <laughs> This is 15 years ago or so, like a really very average, terrible speech in Oklahoma. And I didn't know that you're only supposed to be there for your day. Like when you talk, I stayed for like four days. I stayed for the entire conference with a family from the Internet. Like this was, this could have very easily ended up in a stabbing. It was just like somebody who I knew from my blog that commented on my blog and they were like, Hey, do you want to stay at our house? And I was like, sure. So I slept in their bonus room or like their rumpus room for like three nights. Um, and my wife, Jenny that's said, incredible. I don't think you have to go the whole time. I was like, I'm pretty sure you do. I was, I, there are moments in my life where I'm cocky and ignorant and that's a dangerous combo, dude, but it happens. It happened then, but that was kind of how I got started in public speaking. That's a great question, and I love that. That's such a funny <laughs> question
1: um last episode we went a little too long maybe but there was some so so much great content in there john but this week we want to go a little shorter because we know people want to hit the beach or they want to hit right. the lake right. or they want to hit their plastic pool in their backyard whatever body of water they want to yeah. hit i love that i keep thinking
0: people are like <laughs> on a wakeboard right now like or on a wake boat, like with this blasting. They're like, you know what? I don't want Jimmy Buffett. I want a podcast called All It Takes is a Goal. That's what I'm gonna to listen to. That In my head, that's <laughs> happening. It's not happening.
1: Um, let us know in the reviews. If you're listening to it at the beach or near a body yeah. of water, we would love to hear that on the reviews. That would mean a uh, lot to me.
0: That would mean <laughs> an awful lot to me. Thank you for pointing that out.
1: Um, so we're gonna share, John, a few tips that you've learned from doing public speaking now for over 15 years. Um, we've talked about this beforehand, but the first one, John, is the use of a lean-in line. And I think that's so underused by every public speaker.
0: Yeah, so the the first kind of bonus tip I'll give you because I love bonus tips is I use my phone as my timer um, before I even get on stage. Like that's one that here's why I do it. I practice with it so it's comfortable with for me. Like I practice in my office. In the office I'm sitting in right now, I rehearse in this office. Um, when I was early on in my career, I would like get dressed in what I was going to wear. I would recreate it to the, the best detail I could. But the reason I use a timer is I respect the clock. The, the event planner isn't casual about your 30 minutes. Like He or she's not like, it could be 30 or 50, whatever. They have an entire day planned and you're part of it. So I'm very serious about my time. And what I found is sometimes you'll go to an event and they'll be like, hey, the clock is analog and it's a thousand yards away in the corner of the room. Like I have a hard time telling analog time on my wrist. Never mind when I'm doing something that's intense and it's a long way away. And sometimes they forget to start the clock. So then I'm like, oh, so I always I put my phone in airplane because sometimes it makes especially if it's an event with like 3000 people, it makes the stage manager a little nervous that you're bringing a phone up. So I'll put it in an airplane. There's, it's, I'm not going to get a call, but I'll put it right on a table next to me. And then I have a consistent idea of what, like, where's my time going? So that's the first kind of bonus tip. So you mentioned lean in lines. Yeah, that was something yeah. I learned from a book uh, by, by a guy named James Humes. We'll link it in the show notes, H-U-M-E-S. It's called Speak Like Churchill, Stand Like Lincoln. And it really talked to me about how wasteful it is to start your first minute the wrong way. and it's the most important minute of an entire speech. And there are people that will start it by introducing themselves. And here's why that's a problem. More than likely, you've just been introduced. Somebody just did that and you come out and go, Hey, I'm still Gary. You know how that other guy said I was Gary? Still Gary. Why did you like It's so great. Like, hello, Springfield. Like, hey, you know, like the worst thing you can do is say, how's everybody doing today? And then if they don't clap loud enough, go, Come on, you can do better than that. Like, You shame the audience as an intro, dude, no, like, no, I will never, ever, ever ask for the audience to cheer. And if they don't cheer loud enough, then shame them into cheering louder. Cause that's not authentic. That's shame cheering. Like I'm not like, so you never start by going, I'm so glad to be here. I'm really honored. Like you, like what I start with is a lean in line. I want people to lean in. I want to create curiosity. I want to create tension. Um, So I've got a new talk that I'm working on right now that I'll be delivering. I've got a new book coming out called all it takes is a goal. And the lean in line right now that I'm working on is the first time I asked my father-in-law for his daughter's hand in marriage. He said, no. And like that (laughs) creates tension, dude. And then I go, So it creates tension. And then I relieve it by going worst moment in a waffle house ever. And that creates laughter. And so I'm doing this tension back and forth, but like you want to lean in, like at that moment, you're like, dude, I, what? Or like another one, my talk about finish. I say, I, my opening line is when I was in college, I decided that I should try out for the football team. And then I let it hang and people are looking at me physically and they're like, dude, no offense. You you don't have a football body. Like, what are you talking about? And it creates this tension. And again, you want to know, where's he going? Where are we going together? Um, you know, with, I, with my Soundtracks talk, my opening line is, I need to make a confession today. I need to start with a confession. I am a gold nerd. And gold nerd's a weird phrase. People don't say "gold nerd. <laughs> like We say that all the time, but like the average person doesn't. And then I kind of go rapid fire, and I'll say, one year I read 100 books. One year I ran 1,000 miles. One year. I hired a ping pong coach because I wanted to get better at table tennis. And that creates a laughter kind of tension moment. And I'll say, raise your hand if you did that exact goal too. Like anybody in the room hire an elderly man to throw hundreds of ping pong balls at you while yelling, kill, kill, kill in a rental property. Like, no, that's that's what I was worried about. And again, now we've got a relationship. Now there's tension. Now there's creativity. Um, So for me, that first line, you should have a lean in line. It should be something that engages the audience and calls them deeper into the conversation versus, hello, my name is Gary. I don't know why I'm picking on Gary so much, but that's the name (laughs) I've got in my head right now. My apologies. We apologize
1: to all the Garys out there.
0: To every Gary. To every Gary. That sounds like uh, the name of an indie record album, like the national. The name of their new album is To Every Gary. That's good. If
1: there is a Gary by a body of water that is listening to this, please leave a review. Leave a Let review.
0: Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're a Gary and this this episode's really spoken to you, by all means, hit us <laughs> up, Gary. Let's go. These reviews aren't going to um, write themselves. <laughs> that's right. Um,
1: tip number two, John, for, for public speaking is hum- you yeah, use humor to amplify a line. How do you do that so effectively?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, one, it's, it's a lot of practice. So I watch a hundred comedians for every one business speaker I watch. So I I study comedy because good comedians are social commentators. They're taking an idea and they're they've got social commentary wrapped around it. So I really study it. And I I grew up doing that. My dad used to take me to comedy clubs when I turned eighteen. And I remember we'd go to Boston. And we would see guys like Brian Regan. I went to Carrot Top. I did them all. I did them all, Gian. Um, and so I really respect, respect the craft. Um, but I also love, for me, I use it to amplify a point and to deliver truth because there's this line that Chris Rock says that there's some things people won't listen to unless they're laughing at the same time. Um, and so I use humor to kind of make a point so obvious or to, that it's impossible to ignore. So I've got this, um, I, I, this story I sometimes do about how the pandemic made all of us overthinkers. So I wrote this book up called Soundtracks about overthinking. And we did the study before. We did this big study about people overthinking, but we did it in 2019. And then kind of the idea I'm sharing is And now we're overthinking even more. Like 2020 was catnip for overthinking. And I'll say, because everything is a thing. That's the handle. Everything is a thing. That's easy to remember. And then the example I'll use is like somebody trying to shake my hand. I went to an event after the pandemic and somebody tried to shake my hand. And I thought, am I supposed to refuse? Should I fist bump? Do we have any hard science? The fist bump is scientifically safer. And then I was like, no, maybe I should twist at the hips because the hips don't lie and give them an elbow. Like, and now I've done a Shakira line, but it's super fast. It's super fast. So if you don't get the line, you're not offended. But if you get the line, you're like, did that dude just drop in a Shakira line in the middle of this serious speech? And then I'll go, remember when we are pterodactyling everybody and we are elbowing, like we are bumping elbows? And the idea of like, oh yeah, we were like pterodactyls, like that's funny. Um, and then I'll say, No, that was rude. So Maybe I'll shake their hand, but I'll then put my entire arm up to the elbow into a vat of hand sanitizer as if to say, excuse me while I scrub off this deadly disease you just tried to kill me with. Like, that's a funny picture, but everybody's had that moment. And then I'll I'll do another one where I'm like, You used to be so good at the grocery store. Like for the first 99% of your life, you knew which way to walk down an aisle. Like you were so good at the grocery store. And then during the pandemic, you were like, okay, there's a lot of pressure here. I got to make sure I go down the chip aisle the right way. So I'll use that humor to amplify the point that we all started overthinking. We all got stuck in that. Here's some like big, bold, neon examples. And then like my new talk that I'm doing, one of the lines is you're the most persuasive person you've ever met. Um, because it's true. Like when somebody says the only one standing in your way is you, I think, I know that guy is terrible. He's (laughs) the worst because he's persuasive. And then the line I'll use to exaggerate that the humor is I'll say, have you ever eaten a whole bag of something? And then look down to your horror and realize that the outside of the bag says share size or it says like party size. And you're like, Oh, party of one. Like I ate this entire, like, and then, so like, that's me going, you've talked yourself into bad decisions without, there's no shame in that. There's no, like, I didn't use an example that makes people go, Oh, you're right. I, I'm a terrible person. I used a funny example that we all, all go. Yeah, I, dude, I did that. I ate a share size Snicker just the other day. I didn't share with anybody. I shared it with me. Both parts. And so like that, again, I'm using it to try to amplify a point. My last point on humor though, Gian, is be your version of funny. Like be your version of funny. Sometimes people hear you have to be funny in a speech. And I don't think that's true. I think you have to be your version of funny in a speech. So I always tell people, if you're slapstick at a dinner party, be slapstick on stage. If you're dry at a dinner party, be dry. If you're sarcastic, be sarcastic. It never works when you just... Look up a joke because you think you have to have a joke and then you deliver it and you're like, I heard there needs to be humor. So here's some humor. Did you like my humor? Like that doesn't work. It feels like you're wearing your dad's coat at the eighth grade dance. Like it doesn't fit you. So humor can be amazing as long as it's your version.
1: Um, How do you incorporate that humor into the speech, John? Do you write the serious speech in quotation marks here uh, Mm -hmm. first and then you punch it up with lines or are you looking for those jokes as you're writing the speech?
0: Um, I definitely do the serious thing first, like the skeleton, the, I write out the whole speech and then I look for moments where I need to break the tension where like, I need a funny story, a funny line. And then I also, I'm, I'm learning more as I kind of do this as a profession to not, um, have too much in the speech so that new stuff can happen for both me and the audience. One of the, like an audience loves when they can tell something's new in that moment. So like the other day, um, I was speaking to 3000 optometrists and I told an eye joke I'd never told. Like I'd never I mean I don't have eye jokes I regularly do, but here's 3000 optometrists and so the joke again I'm amplifying a point. So if you're an optometrist part of the challenge is you also have to run a business. You're also a CEO because you own your own, you know, um center or your own clinic. And you don't get a lot of business training. Like at optometry school, there's not a ton of business training. And so the joke I did was like, they hand you your diploma and they're like, oh, by the way, you're now a CEO. And you're like, what was that last part? What was that? And the challenge is that, you got into it to deal with eyes, but you also have to deal with humans because every eye is attached to a human. And I said like, it'd be easier if the eyeballs could just roll into the, to the clinic themselves and you could service them and they could roll right out, but that's not how eyes work. And so like I riffed about like, and it did really well, but it was a riff in the moment. So now I always say like the difference between talent and craft is talent happens in the moment, craft happens after. The craft will be do I put that idea somewhere? Cause I'm going to speak to another group that that fits with. Like I've spoken to eight different dental events. So like <laughs> I have some dental humor at this point. So the craft is going, Oh, that happened in the moment. It was unique. How do I tailor that to the next time I talk to a, an optometrist or next time? Like maybe I talk to, you know, ophthalmologists. Maybe I talk to um, an ENT and there's like guy and there's similarities. Like, how will I use this in the future? But stuff happens in the moment. So I plan it. But then there's also like you find fresh stuff in the moment. You're like, oh, that was fun. And I wasn't expecting it.
1: Yeah. Love that. Love that. John, our our last tip for public speaking um, is just simplify the advice. And we left that last because it is so simple. And yet it's the last thing that people think about when they're writing a speech.
0: Yeah, I think it gets back to that it's so tempting to overstuff your talk out of nervousness. And I've been been—I've done that, especially early on in my career, where it's kind of – it reminds me of like if you grew up with a family of talkers. Like maybe you've got like four kids at the table. You had to talk fast and loud because the mic was going to get grabbed from you. Like a brother was going to tell their story about school. So you better be like – like go – like it reminds me of that where – it feels uncomfortable to the audience because you've packed it so full. You see that with books. There's books that people write and you're like, you put too much in here because your fear was... I got to make sure it has a ton of value. And that's something we talk about with the GGC. Like there's so much content that we're trying to be deliberate to go, when do we share this content in the right way versus a fire hose? Um, so I think you should always go, okay, how do I simplify this so that it's sticky? Um, the, the benefit that I have, G.N., that I didn't re- realize it at the time, but I really am grateful now is I worked for um, a bunch of great companies that taught me how to be a copywriter. So I worked at Staples. I remember, you know, Staples Corporate in Framingham, Massachusetts. One of my jobs was to write fortune cookies. You're like, that's a weird job. Like, yeah, it was. It was a promotional we were doing. So I had to find a funny way to write a short line about toner in a fortune cookie. And so I wrote 50 toner jokes. Like when I worked at um, Home Depot Corporate. And we would have some new way we are talking about granite. I had to come up with something sticky and easy. When I worked at Bose and we launched a new speaker, I had to come up with something that was a good handle. I consider myself a handle maker where I'm putting handles on the ideas so that you can take them with you. So that you can actually go, okay, next week I'm going to remember this. So like, like when I talk to leaders, I'll say one of the handles is leaders who can't be questioned end up doing questionable things. And that is a really sticky handle. And you feel the room go, oh. And I'll repeat it because like, it's helpful to go. And I'll say, leaders who can't be questioned end up doing questionable things. And then I'll amplify it by going, show me a team that fell. Show me a company that fell. Show me a church that imploded. And I'll show you a leader who couldn't be told the truth. That could only be told the things he or she wanted to hear. And that's a groan line, too, because people groan because they've worked with that person. And they're like, oh, I had a guy like that. I had a woman like that. But it, if, if, I said to, if I said the line and said, you know, you've got to be open to feedback and people have to be able to question you if you're a leader. <laughs> boring, boring, like super boring, super dull. Nobody's going to remember that not sticky. If I say the line, leaders who can't be questioned end up doing questionable things. Now you go, oh, oh. So I'm always, that's why I like Twitter. That's why I like headlines. That's why I still read copywriting books is I think as a, as a communicator, you're looking for those lines where the audience goes oh i get that i get that because their takeaway there is i need to make sure i'm being questioned like am i open to questions like how does this apply to me so that's what i mean by simplifying it i'm trying to trim the amount of content so there's breathing room in the speech because what will happen is you'll ask the audience a question and if you don't give them time to answer it was a fake question if you go what do you think and then immediately talk it wasn't a real question the audience goes oh you didn't really care what i thought okay never mind i just okay. And that hurts the relationship. So that's, that's how I think about it.
1: I love it, John. Thanks. Thank you so much for, for joining me and, and and giving you those three tips plus a bonus one, because we're just givers here at at ATG. You know what? I'm going to
0: end with a fifth bonus tip because the the, the gifts don't stop the gifts. You're out on that Lake, you're wakeboarding and you're just like, give me another tip. Yeah, Gary, you're out at a grill beside a Lake and you've got this blast in your wife is like, Put on Bob Marley and you're like, never, I'm getting better with all it takes is a goal. My last bonus tip is think of speaking as an act of service, not a performance. It's an act of service. You're there to serve the audience. You're there to serve the event planner. You're there to serve the CEO or the executives versus It's not a performance in the sense of, I haven't done my job if they walk away and like me, like that's nice. And I hope that happens, but that's not the goal. The goal is that I've served them and giving them some tools that they can use in their life. So I look at it as an act of service, not a performance. And that gives me the right kind of headspace to walk in and really super serve an audience. And an audience can tell when you're there to serve them versus when you're there to like receive adoration. Like they don't, they can feel that in a second and will and will completely turn off and they should. So I'm always trying to like, okay, how do I serve the audience? How do I serve the audience? That's what I try to keep in mind. Um, so fifth bonus tip, fantastic. Gian, thank you so much for joining me today. That was super fun. And thank you and all the Garys, specifically all the Garys. We really hit on a, a pretty sweet spot today. I think we, I mean, we talk about jokes that happen in the moment. Gary just came up and was like, let's do it. So thank you for listening to this episode. We'll put all the notes In the show notes, as always, all the links, Um, please keep those um, reviews coming. Please subscribe or follow or whatever the kids are saying these days. And we'll be back next Monday with another episode. And remember, all it takes is a goal. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes as a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes as a Goal podcast.